Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers, aimed to give you the story behind the story. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Before we start, we want to issue a disclaimer. Conversations hosted by PageCast are happening from all corners of the world. So if we do have any inconsistencies with sound, we ask for your understanding as a listener. Today's episode is hosted by myself, Ingrid Kluko, a realistic idealist, kindness practitioner and publicist at Jonathan Ball Publishers. And me, Nicola Bruins. I'm a podcast addict, media consultant and a bit of a newshead. After completing a degree in journalism and media communications, Cecilia O'Hearn wrote her first novel at 21 years old. Her debut novel, P.S. I Love You, was published in January 2004. To date, Cecilia's books have sold 25 million copies internationally and are published in over 40 countries in 30 languages. She's also partly responsible for the creation of the US ABC comedy Samantha Who and has created many other original TV projects. Nicola will now give you a sneak peek into Cecilia's latest novel, Freckles. Allegra Bird's arms are scattered with freckles, a gift from her beloved father. But despite her nickname, Freckles has never been able to join all the dots. So when a stranger tells her that everyone is the average of the five people they spend the most time with, it opens up something deep inside. The trouble is, Freckles doesn't know if she has five people. And if not, what does that say about her? She's left her unconventional father and her friends behind for a bold new life in Dublin, but she's still an outsider. Now in a quest to understand, she must find not one, but five people who shape her life and who will determine her future. Told in Legra's vivid original voice, moving from modern Dublin to a fierce Atlantic coast, this is an unforgettable story of human connection, of friendship and of growing into your own skin. Freckles takes us on an incredible journey of self-discovery. And we're very honored to be joined by the author Cecilia Hearn today. Cecilia, thank you so very much for taking time out of your day and for your beautiful book. Thank you so much. And I could have actually listened to you read forever. You've got such a beautiful voice and accent. You should read the whole book. The, we'll, uh, be the book. we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. No. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it is it is kind of an uplifting, warm read. That that is I suppose with all of my novels, it's kind of the intention. I want people to feel good as well as, as well as feel bad at, <laughs> at moments in it. You know, I want to make you cry and I want to make you, but ultimately I want to make people feeling uplifted and good when they close the book. So well, you've definitely you achieved that. that. And, and I think the most comforting part as well as there's no mention of COVID, there's no mention of, of lockdown and restrictions. Yeah. And I know it's because you wrote it before, but to have a book come out now where you can really escape you can really escape into the world of Allegra and, and, and then yes, you, you come back into reality, but it's such an escapist journey yeah. that you get taken on. Yeah, I was gonna say, it was written before. So I, it was supposed to be out this time last year and was postponed um, because of the word that I hate saying. Um, and, uh, and then I edited it after, while I was in lockdown. And it was, I actually realized how 
kind of how familiar, how in a way life had imitated art because Allegra just sticks to this. She has this rhythm and she's very, it's like she likes routine and schedule and discipline and, and she sticks, you know, she leaves the house at the same time. She sees the same people at the same place in the same park at the same time every morning. And that became my lockdown life. So I wrote it before, um, but I said it where I live. And so I just felt like Allegra when I was editing it. I was like, oh my God, I've actually, maybe I've made this happen. <laughs> so I'm in the same, um, Malhai Castle is my local park. So I was walking there. I was seeing the same people at the same tree at the same time. And I thought I've just turned into Allegra. <laughs> so um, while it's not a lockdown book and it's not a you know pandemic book, there are things in it that will, um, that kind of, I think people might identify with it as a result of lockdown. There's a thread in most of your novels um, in which the reader actually meets the protagonist when they hit rock bottom. Um, however, I felt with Freckles, it's not the case. We actually meet her as she's determined to, to achieve a goal. Is there a shift and, and what contributed to that shift? Um, yeah, funny. I hadn't really thought about it like that. I think I just get so used to saying this is the thread between all of my books, someone at a low point and I want to bring them to a high point. Um, but I think she, yeah, she's already set out on her mission. Uh, the mission, we don't know what it is, but she has moved away from home and she's set out on her own and she's, she's on this mission. But when she hears the expression, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, she kind of, I won't say she hits rock bottom, <laughs> but she realizes that um, she might not have five, you know, and that's kind of a very, very lonely place to be. So she does dip and, and then has to, find her way out of that hole. So yeah, it's not quite the rock bottom, I think, that I may have in other um, novels, but I think loneliness um, for her brings her to her low, a very low point. Um, yeah, and I don't want to give away the ending because not everything happens probably in the way the reader thinks it's going to happen. So there are, there are ups and downs, but ultimately it's uplifting. Um, Yes, that was a good question. I didn't really think about it like that, but I did. I, I do always like to take a character and strip them of the things that make them comfortable. Because I think with me, I think that if you're happy, you don't really question much about life. You know, you don't really, you don't really question anything because you're just happily like moving along, appreciating things. But when when you're going through a tough time, I think everything becomes a problem. You question everything: who you are, what's going wrong, you know, where you are in your life. Um, and that, I think, is the time where you start learning about yourself because you really want to just get yourself out of this hole. So for me, that's like a really meaty, juicy place to begin a novel, you know. So um, quite cruelly strip, strip all the comforts away from my characters. You said in a recent interview that, um, and yes, I'll touch quickly, very quickly on the pandemic, that you, you didn't expect a pandemic, but you're one of those people that always thinks ahead. You always know you kind of are, are a preparer and a planner. And you said that when I travel, I think, what if the borders close and I can't get back to my kids? Or as a child, you watched war movies and you thought of, not about the small worries, but you had big worries growing up. And I see Allegra in a lot of that. How much of yourself do you see in Allegra? <laughs> I would say with her, not a huge amount, actually. Um, I think I'm quite different to Allegra and I really had so much fun with her because of that. Um, but that is true. And I thought that was normal, you know, that um, if I do, if I was to travel and I just check, uh, like, well, what's the situation in that country? Like, is there a war? <laughs> you know, I would just be kind of aware of that. Um you know, can I get back safely? Because you, I don't know, does, <laughs> I think that's 
just a normal thing to think about, you know, when I'm leaving my family and I need to get back. But apparently that's not normal. Um, and, um, and everyone was taken surprised by this pandemic. <laughs> but um, I had my kids out of school a week early. We had all the shopping done. I was ready. I think if you're someone that thinks really big like that, you know, and that's obviously why I write, because I had the head that wanders and moves things ahead. Well, what if, what if, what if? Um, then when things happen, it's actually, um, I'm quite calm in the storm because I've, I've, I've maybe not as calm as everyone else beforehand because I'm thinking about it all the time. But when it actually happens, it's like, I think I know how to live with this. <laughs> Are you secretly an end of the world planner? You're busy stocking your tons of tuna in the back of the car. Like, it's not even like that. It's not even panicking. It's just like, be prepared for anything. I just, I never think that anything is ever going to be the same. Um, you know, that's just, like, for me, that's just normal. Things are always going to change, and you never know, you know, the moon might... I'd like, do you know what you've heard? NASA announced to you the, a few weeks ago that the moon is um is taking a wobble. Like, it's actually moving off its axis, and it's uh, going to affect the tidal systems in 2022 or something. There's going to be more... See? Did you not hear about this? There's going to be more flooding in coastal towns and la, 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 la. So I'm like, okay, well, the moon is getting... It's wobbled off its axis. <laughs> Who doesn't want to think about things like this? <laughs> what you're saying is that I, I immediately think of the, the six Ps my dad used to say when I was growing up. Prior proper planning prevents poor performance. Oh! <laughs> it's literally, I think you are embodying the six Ps and my dad would be so amazed. I will definitely share this with him. Oh, it's just there's something obviously very wrong with me. So anyway, in saying that, there's n- I, I don't have a huge amount in common with Allegra. Um, <laughs> that, um, I suppose I would choose very carefully my people. You know, I would be a, quite um, a solitary person. Like, I love people and I obviously have friends and I like going out, but I am, like... I like to be surrounded by people that I trust, um, not people who are negative and who are draining. You know, like if, I think I think it's important that you protect the people that come into your circle because it's your life and you have to mind yourself. You know, um, and how often do we leave? You know, having a coffee with someone who's just dragged us down, and <laughs> we feel terrible. Um, so I'm not suggesting that people read this novel and start culling friends, but it is something you know to monitor, like toxic relationships or you know maybe have people who are more encouraging or people who ground you people who inspire you people who open your minds to things that to things that you might not particularly believe in or agree with but who opens your mind and makes you think about it so um yeah I'd be quite similar in that way in the way she starts thinking about spending time with different types of people opening your mind is something that that I think is a, a privilege actually if you experience stuff that opens your mind and and just your view of life so how did your brief time in the Irish pop group shimmer <laughs> open your mind? <laughs> oh, you have no idea in so many ways. I can't even begin to tell you. Um, that well, So when I was a teenager, singing and dancing was my thing. And that's really what I wanted to do. And uh, so I, all my jobs were, you know, I was either teaching kids how to dance or I was doing shows, pantomimes, at Christmas pantomimes or... I had a show called Boogie Nights where I would dance. I was doing three shows a day. Like, that was my life. And then I was asked to do this... Um, well, I wasn't, well, I was asked and I wanted to take part in this band for the Eurovision act. And it was... Uh, individually, everyone was hugely talented. Together, we were not. <laughs> so, like, so I don't want to rip apart all those people. But um, I got a, we got a, a record deal. You know, that was... I was 18. 
Um, and we got a record deal and we flew over to, was it London? And we recorded in Pete Waterman's studios. Now that was in Manchester, but we got a deal in London. And it was all very exciting and we were going to be like the next big thing. <laughs> Only we didn't win. <laughs> and um, for there was so many uncertain months hadn't heard from anyone, from my manager, from the record company, didn't know what was happening. We were signed up and like locked into this deal. Uh, so I learned a lot. Like, you know, it, it's funny because it was embarrassing and I, you know, it would have been great if I hadn't have done it. Um, but I learned a lot about well, business um, and, uh, and, and other things that I can't tell you about because it's just a very interesting world to be in. <laughs> but it really opened my mind. But the most important lesson it taught me is that I was I kind of had my tail between my legs after that. And I was in college at the same time, missing loads of college and getting into a bit of trouble because I'd missed so many lectures. And I just, after that, I put my head down, concentrated um, and thought, no, I don't want to be a performer. I don't want to be on front of the camera. I need to start doing all the things that I really want to do, like telling stories behind the camera. And... Uh, so, you know, it was a fun thing, but it taught me a lot about where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be. Yeah, well, um, nothing like a little dose of fame to do that. Dude, nothing like a dose of fame to ground you. One thing that you do often, which I was very surprised to read, with all due respect, is you enjoy boxing. Um, you were training with an MMA fighter before lockdown hit, and, and you're so small and, and compact that, you know, having someone wrestle you on the floor is something that I can't imagine. <laughs> So I really wanted to, um, like I love the gym and everything, but I hate cardio and I just wanted to do something um, that I enjoyed. Like I loved dancing and, and doing a sport or something, but just to hate, you know, I don't want to be pushing a prowler up and down, feeling like a cow. I always feel like a cow when I'm on a prowler. Um, so even though, even though cows don't do anything actually in a field, I don't know why I think it's like a plow. I should be like a, a workhorse perhaps, but no, it's always a cow. Um, so I just wanted to do something really exciting and uh, but I also wanted to learn self-defense because I just feel that's an important thing that we all should just learn at school or somewhere you know it should be something that we learn and um so this <laughs> this amazing guy his name's James Webb and he's an, an English MMA fighter like with cage warriors I think and he was over here training he's like over six foot something like head to toe tattoos and and he he was training over here and then he just started taking a class with me and my husband started with me the first week and we began with grappling on the floor. So here I was with this dude with like his legs wrapped around my neck and he's like, now try and get me off, <laughs> try and knock me over. And I just clearly couldn't move. I was either death or we start doing um, kickboxing and boxing. <laughs> so I, I loved it. I, it. It changed the shape of my body. Not now because I've stopped for this whole pandemic. Um, but it just also... I found the first sessions I kept saying, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. You know, this silly, polite, feminine thing. Um, Cause I'd just never been in that world before. Never been in someone's space before. I never had someone in my space that much before. You know, so there was a lot of sorries until I toughened up and, um, and it really gave me a lot of confidence in other ways, you know? And I think uh, I wrote this collection of short stories, Roar. And I think me wanting to do that and, um, having those stories come out I was trying to assert myself in lots of different ways physically and and in my own life and things like that so look sorry it's a really long rambly answer but it did a lot for me um also it's hilarious that I the, the thoughts of me doing it I think for anybody but I have these cool pink I've got these cool pink gloves um they're like hot pink 
and my mom's getting me a, a punch bag for my 40th so like I'm I'm not gonna let this go I'm gonna keep this up so it's your 40th <laughs> birthday on the 30th of September that is correct um, <laughs> it's amazing to think that you are um, uh, you have experience in MMA fighting and you are turning 40 <laughs> that's truly amazing and you love Lego and you love Lego yeah <laughs> love Lego but is there a significant year in the last 40 that, that really stands out above the rest? And what does turning 40 mean to you? Um, I would say that um, 21 was an important year because that was the year I wrote P.S. I Love You. And that changed my life. And I think in that time I had, I had finished my degree in journalism and media communications, doing what I suppose you guys are doing now I wanted to do like loads of things like TV and film production and radio broadcasting and all those practical things I would did not want to be a print journalist um but I um but I was kind of having I, I think a quarter-life crisis I was very I was at a really low point and questioning a lot of things about myself and, and life and um so I dropped out of doing an MA in film production and got this idea for PS I Love You threw myself into it didn't even know that I was writing a novel, just knew that I had a story that I wanted to tell, that I needed to get out because it kept running around in my head over and over again. And the only way I could move on was by writing it down. So at 2 a.m. one morning, I started writing the book, and uh, which I didn't know was a book, I just thought it was a story. And I wrote all the way to like six in the morning. And then the next day I did the same thing. I was writing longhand, and then I would write from 10 o'clock at night till six in the morning. I would sleep for half the day. I would get up and write again. And um, after, about, after a couple of months, um, look, I will cut the very long story short, but I had a book deal and my life had completely and utterly changed. You know, I'd gone from living at home with my mom with absolutely no money, just out of college, trying to find a job to now I have a career. <laughs> I have a two book deal and I have to travel the world talking about it. Um, like just at festivals and I was on TV shows, you know, at events. It was incredible. My life completely and utterly changed. So if I hadn't written that book, I would, I think I'd be a very different person and I'd be in a very different place in my life. You mentioned um, writing longhand. Do you, do you still do it? And, and I want to know why and where you, where you store all of this paperwork. Um, yeah, I love writing longhand. Like I love the whole creative, it feels more creative. I love the flow of it. And I think I'm a very visual writer, so I see the scene in my head that I'm writing. And I suppose it feels like I'm painting the picture. You know, I'm just painting what I see. Um, then, so I write a chapter longhand and then I type it up. Or I'll write a few chapters and then type them up and edit them as I go along. So that really, I immediately have my second draft. Um, um, I just, do you know what, and I have a lot of manuscripts. So I've written 18, 19 novels now, at 19th been edited. And I just, I won't tell you where I keep them. <laughs> Not that they're that valuable, but they are to me. Um, and they themselves, I think, tell not just the story that I'm writing, but the story of my life. Because, you know, when you're writing, I'd have doodles in the corner or, you know, phone number of somebody I have to call back or, and it reminds me of the moment in my life that I was writing it. So they tell a story of my own life as well. So they're very, very special to have, I think. And it feels, uh, yeah, it feels a lot more creative. It feels like the story is flowing. And then the typing part is kind of mechanical. It feels like the brain part takes over, whereas the, the writing is the heart, the heart part. <laughs> you look at people who are listening and not the people who are talking. 
when you look at someone that that's listening, it gives away a lot of themselves. Um, is there anything that you've seen in someone you've looked at that that became realization on the, on the page in Freckles? Oh gosh, like uh, I can't think of one. Oh, that's a that's a, you're very good at your questions, but they're very difficult to answer. <laughs> we need another hour for my brain to process them. Um, is there anything? And if not, it's also gay. <laughs> But the answer is probably yes. I just can't remember. I think it's all like it's made up of all of that, you know. Um, like everything I learn about people goes into the books, but it's not like it's not a conversation that that's had that I secretly write down. You know, I, I don't think I'm taking directly from reality, but I am absorbing humans and how they interact. And um, and I think I suppose my thing with people and my advice to people who want to write is always listen. Because I think in this world, people are very busy talking. You know, they're very interesting and they have a lot to say. <laughs> and some people have story after story after story. Um, but when you're talking a lot, you're not... I, I don't think you're paying attention to other people around you. So I think it's very important to, to listen. Share your story, okay, but also listen. Because um, people's expressions give a huge amount away. And I, I don't even know how I can explain that. I think it's just if people start watching, they, they'll they'll understand. You know, somebody might say something, um, but their face tells something else, you know, or, or a silence. It's what they don't say sometimes that gives something away. Um, or people react to people speaking and you can tell, well, that person didn't agree or, or the way they look away or look at someone else or, you know, I, I just... I, I learn a lot from, from human interaction and not the person that's speaking because the person speaking knows everyone's listening. They think, oh, the attention's all on me. So they're giving me the, whatever their performance is. It's everyone else that's like silently reacting. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's probably more like the residue of reality that plants the seed for characters, I guess. Um, and that's so yeah. true, actually. Whenever someone's speaking, they know that people are listening. If you do that, like family gatherings, it's the funniest thing ever. If you know that you are now like the fly on the wall and there's like this conversation going and you can see your family reacting, but not out loud. Exactly. Reading the room. Exactly. A goggle box. I don't know if it's... That's, that is goggle Gosh, yeah. yeah. I, I originated it. <laughs> I was goggle box. Oh, but funny, was so I was going to say something. I can tell you one thing that was for real. That I, because I always say this in interviews. No, I don't take anything from real life and blah, blah. But when I start flicking through my book, I remember. Oh, that was... I can remember them when I'm reading. But there is um, one situation in Freckles where they mentioned the car ferry where Freckles used to work that brings her to her island in Valencia. And they had an incident where somebody's bull got loose on the... Um, on the trailer and that was a friends of mine and Kerry told me that that happened when they were on it um they were bringing this huge big angry bull back to their farm and it got loose on the car ferry and um so I just thought that was too hilarious for me to not put in the book <laughs> so that's true so occasionally do you know it wasn't a big scene in it it was a kind of a one sentence throwaway remark but uh yeah so some often I do if something's really special like that I go oh, I have to put that in but I don't make it the main story I make it like part of a conversation well, that's one way to know if whether or not your friends read your books. Yeah, well, they obviously don't because I haven't heard from them. <laughs> <laughs> They're busy with their bull. <laughs> bull handling. <laughs> it, was, it was your brother-in-law that said you're the sum of the five people that you spend most time with, right? 
Yes, so it is not his quote. It is a Jim Ron quote. With, he was a business motivational speaker. But my brother-in-law, uh, his name is Nicky Byrne. I don't know if you know Westlife or if they're big in South Africa. He, um, he said it to me years ago. It was about probably five years ago. I had never heard it before. But it's one of those expressions that, um, or a phrase that, it, it seems so simple and yet asks so many questions. It made me think so much. What I loved about it is not, I've heard often, who are the people that shape you or your whole life or, but it's that you spend the most time with. So that question could be asked at different phases of your life. Um, it's not, and it can't be your family because everyone, most people would wake up in a house with family, many people, not all. Um, it has to be someone else. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and if you change your job or you change your bus route or you change your schedule in any kind of way or you move house, then your five people are, will naturally change. Um, is it the person that you have a chat to in the morning on the bus? Um, that you probably, if you see them every morning, you're probably talking to them more than you do your family. You know, um, Is it someone that you get your coffee from? Is that the lovely girl that does your pedicure or your man? You know, who, like, who are you having these chats with that kind of, sometimes you would talk more to than your, your friends. Um, and, and are they shaping you? Are they inspiring some, some sort of thoughts that you wouldn't hear or learn elsewhere? That's what I was fascinated by. It was a bigger question to me than who has made you the person you are because, you know, anyone could say, oh, it's my favorite auntie or blah, blah, blah. But it's really who you spend the most time with. Um, and that's an interesting question. I remember growing up with the notion that, um, and my parents always used to tell me that you have friends for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And this came after I, I think I was young and, and I'd maybe lost my first friend or we'd had a, you know, a row or something. And I think that's, that's so true that it changes and throughout Freckles, and without giving, giving away too much, Allegra's circle changes. But the one constant in her life is her father. And, you know, is, is, was that drawn from your own family? Is your father a very, I know you were, you were locked away from him during, <laughs> during the pandemic and you weren't able to see him even though he was so close. You sound like you have a very a genuine relationship with him. I do. No, we are very close. I'm very close with all of my family, but it doesn't mirror um, our relationship at all. Um, it, like Allegra's dad, like he's the only person she has. Like her mother gives her up when she's born, has no interest in being a mother at all. And her mother is from Spain and her dad is Irish. She looks like her mother, but she has her father's freckles. And that's actually why it's called freckles and why they're so important to her. Because he's her everything. And, and if, as she says in the book, her mother gave up her to have everything, but her dad gave up everything to have her. Um, so they have this beautiful bond. Um, not to say I don't with my dad, but it's completely different in this book. And he's quite an eccentric man. And the two of them are very socially awkward. And so they, they cling to each other. Um, and, and by leaving him, you know, as she says a few times, I'm leaving my one, my very special one, to find five. You know, and is that a mistake? Do you need, who needs five when you have this huge, big one? You know, maybe that's all that matters. So that it's... Um, and of course, loneliness then comes into it with him. You know, she's cut off from him and he starts to... He crumbles a little bit when she leaves. Um, and he's faced with with huge loss and loneliness but she needs to find her place in the world and she needs to find her life and she needs to complete this mission because otherwise she can't move on but it, so it, it's about so many different things but a huge part of it is that relationship she has with her dad um yeah 
I think this book um, truly it will it will actually um, sorry I'm just trying to get the right words it might make people assess their people in their lives it def definitely did that to me um, I had to write down my five people and not being able to write down family is difficult because I talk to my mom every day so <laughs> um, but I really do hope that whoever picks up this book will see it as a journey as an adventure because it truly was I read this book and I was totally I was taken away into another world and it was lovely but it also started a journey within myself where I now have to truly assess who is in my life and and I think that's why this book is so great because it's multifaceted it's not just a book to escape with it's a book to start a journey within yourself and and I actually want to thank you for that and I think a lot of readers will probably feel the same way and that that a lot of people might even make changes in their lives for the better due to this book so I, I think that's that's really um inspiring so thank you so much for that that was a bit of a side throw in there oh, I love the side notes that means so much to me thank you so so much of course when I like when I write I quite selfishly write for myself. You know, it's I, I must please myself because if I don't like it, the readers won't. But when I hear reactions like that, it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. So uh, encouraging for me and really important. So thank you so much. I do, I do hope it encourages people in a good way. I mean, it's not, it's not a life rule. Like people don't have to go out and, and make changes in their life. It really is entertainment first. But if it does something positive, um, and you can have good, healthy relationships surrounded by good five people, then that's, that's a better, you know, that's a great thing. Oh, that was beautiful. And great English, just, you know, just take it. Take it for you. <laughs> um, on a lighter note, rumor has it when you, when you finish a novel, you have a good cry, and then you pour yourself a long glass of champagne, and you drink it by yourself. Um, when you were done with Freckles, what were your thoughts? You know, you were done. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a beautiful book. Did you cry? It, it feels weird to to think about the process following a book like Freckles. I always cry for every book, like every single book. I, I ugly cry for the chapters, like race. I'm racing to get to the end. My, my feeling is my adrenaline is up. I've almost got there with my characters there. I can see the finish line and I'm just obsessively racing towards the end. I know I should slow it down. Editor's first note is always, you sped up the end. I know I did. I'm going to do it in every novel because I'm so excited to get there and to bring my character to the end. And I'm so emotional and caught up in the story that I'm literally ugly crying. Um, and I've said this for years and I don't think people really, really ever believe me until I quite kind of egotistically, as we do now, um, I recorded myself <laughs> on video as I was finishing my the book I've just finished now, just to show like, I, and even when I read it, I feel the same thing. My lips were going, my nose was going. I was like cr crying so much. I was having this weird experience um, because I'm in the story. You know, my sister thought there was something wrong. I mean, she's like, are you okay? And then a friend brought over a present. Like, but I, I was, I was really surprised by the response. I was like, guys, I've been saying this for years that I cry at the end, but they were like, we didn't know that you looked like you'd lost everything in your life. Like when you cry. <laughs> but but that's like that's how I feel um it's an amazing experience to feel elsewhere like that to feel like you're completely in another world um but I didn't have a glass of champagne I was pregnant and I actually ha I stopped drinking so I never went back after having a baby 
But, um, and I have to say, and I wrote freckles, I was incredibly sick and nauseous um, when I was pregnant. So uh, I really, that was the most difficult book, most challenging book I think I've ever had to write um, because I just was physically, I just did not feel well at all. And so when I finished, it was like huge relief that I'd managed to get through it. Sad because of the story. Um, sad to say goodbye to the character. And, um, but uh, yeah, I think when I, and I went, after I had the baby and I went back to edit, I read it and felt nauseous. <laughs> so that's the magical thing about writing is that whatever, it kind of brings me back to the moment when I wrote it, how I felt, where I was. I can remember the room, who I was. Um, and then I had to kind of edit out the, the disgusting nauseousness from the book. <laughs> it was so lovely doing research about you. I, I should really just state that as well. It, it didn't feel like a job, although this whole podcast doesn't feel no, like a job. It's, no, it's no. like a passion of ours. Um, when I did my research, in one interview, you mentioned that it's the author's job to be empathetic and creative and to mix the two together. Where in Freckles was it difficult or easy you can go either way to mix the two together is there a specific scene a specific stage in the in the story where you just felt like i hit the golden spot to mix empathy and creativeness together beautiful question again but in certain ways i'm too empathetic because i get to uh i i like i feel other people's stuff <laughs> I don't want to you know when those people if someone tells me a sad story about what happened to them I immediately feel their sadness and that's kind of you know to take that back to your life and go brush it off um so it's great for writing it's brilliant for writing because anything I create I feel um it's it's pretty bad when you just want to go to the shop for, <laughs> for milk <laughs> and you meet someone who's, who drags you down um so no I think it's a really important thing I, and I and I didn't struggle with it at all actually Oh, you know, there is a bit of, um, yeah, there is a bit of one, I kind of struggled with one element, of, not struggled, I debated it. You know, her father has this incident um, with a woman at the church. Um, he taps her knee, puts his hand on her knee and, um, and asks her if she wants to go for a drink. And it's kind of this, this moment that, you know, has been spoken about so much. Um, and I, I did have a little bit of, back and forth in my head over over trying to <laughs> explain both sides in a balanced way um, when my heart was kind of leaning towards one, you know? Um, and probably not the side people thought I should have been on. So yeah, so, so that's one of those examples when it's like, do I write what I feel here or do I have to write what the father feels? Do I have to write what I think the reader will want to read and, you know, and not get agitated by it um, I don't want to have to have arguments and interviews and you know it's like how much do I write here without drumming up an unnecessary amount of mess <laughs> so yeah that's one of those moments where I had to think about it and I think in the end what I did was hugely played it down because I was getting you know editor notes and stuff and I was like I don't want to get into this conversation I just want it to be what it is uh, and yeah so things like that I don't think it's what you asked me about empathy but maybe maybe it is because I was kind of in the in the dad's head during that and then Allegra's head, who had to try and be the referee. Um, yeah, so I was trying to cover everybody's angle. <laughs> well, you did it perfectly. <laughs> and another theme that, that tends to come up during these interviews that you often do is that you've published your first book at 21, and you mentioned that previously. And this might be a reach, 
But the same theme is visible in Freckles with the character of Rooster or Tristan being very successful at such a young age. Um, do you see again parts of yourself in that, or is that just is that is it just happened to play out that way? No, there is a bit, and, I, and and not intentionally. I suppose only when I look back, I go, okay. <laughs> um, okay. There is a bit of that, look. You know, being becoming successful at twenty one meant that um, I, I really didn't know anything about the industry, about the publishing industry, and so I surrounded myself by people who did, and and I think I always. Um, wrote whatever I wanted to write I know no one controlled me in that way but I allowed other people to take control of you know the business side of it like I didn't know so I was gonna let and somewhere along the way I had to grow up and start trying to pay attention my, myself but also as I learned it myself start trying to make decisions myself um, and get to that place of control and have my voice be heard and so that that's kind of a battle um, uh, not a battle in a in a in a kind of aggressive way, just a um, a challenge, you know, trying to trying to be assertive when when many people can still see you as that twenty one year old. Um, so yeah, I do understand Tristan's journey there. Um, just trying to a creative person trying to have a business head that's hard um, because they don't all necessarily go hand in hand. Um, but also trying to be heard, have his own successful business, and. Um, and try to tell people what to do. His friends aren't listening to him, and um, and people are still trying to put him in his box. So yeah, I get, I I can understand that journey as well. But mostly chose him, by the way, because I have an eleven year, a nearly twelve year old, a nine year old, a toddler. Um, but all I hear is YouTube people, and it's like, hi guys, a little hi guys, like it's constantly in the house. Um, kids who are massively successful with gazillions of money um, in their bank accounts and. I just find it so fascinating that these kids are growing up and becoming these sensational stars and incredibly successful. And I, I, I suppose because that's part of my life, I'm hearing it every day. It went into the book as well. Something that Freckles mentioned in the book, and I'm going to read the quote here. But sometimes, just sometimes, you have to make allowances for people being human. You see, that's the problem, Patty. That's the bit I don't get, the human bit. I think when you're someone who notices and observes, then you're naturally going to understand that that's the human condition. Um, but, but I don't want people to be human when they're supposed to be efficient. <laughs> you know, if I'm writing sometimes and I go out then to collect the kids from school or something, I can be really weird, <laughs> like really odd, because it's like it's taken me a moment to get out into the real world and like, ugh, and I start saying weird things to people. So I get it and <laughs> I get her in that way. Um, but, but, I, but I know that people are human and I allow for that a lot. Um, and I think that many people don't, you know, like everyone is, everyone has got flaws and nobody's perfect. And um, I can't think of a moment where I learned that. I think just, I'm just the type of person. One thing I'm very jealous about that Allegra has and that I don't have is that she doesn't react. She, someone says something to her and then she, it's like she processes it. She walks away and she thinks about it. And then she approaches and see, she asks questions. Whereas if someone said to me, if like Rooster, someone said that to me, I'd, I'd tell him to shove off. But she takes a step back and she assesses and she walks away. And I think we can all take such a page out of that book where we all react too quickly. I'm kind of, I, do you know what? There's something similar I have with Allegra. I'm, I'm the girl who walks away and then afterwards I think, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? I should have said this. I should have said that. Uh, and then the one moment I do react, it's the wrong moment. You know, it'll be at, to the wrong person who's actually really lovely. And I've just, I've just built up 
<laughs> my frustration from too many moments of not saying anything. So, um, yeah, well, it's good to know that you speak up for yourself um, because I don't enough. I, I'm the one that walks away. No, no, just going to be kind and take the higher road. Well, kill them with kindness is something that was very important in my, in my family growing up. Because, um, like, personally, like, you know, my dad was in politics. So if, if you're going to react to every single negative thing that anybody said, you would be in a bad, bad place. Uh, so we just had to take it all. So I, I am also... I'm, often very surprised by people's high sensitivity because I think I'm quite resistant to to things that people say to insults yeah it's been amazing and um, this book like I said really made a a massive impact on me and the way I think and the way I'm going to go forward Um, so yeah I will forever remember this and I'm sure Nicola will yeah it's definitely definitely a highlight and it's been a pleasure to chat and we're so excited um, to I don't know, introduce everybody else to the world of freckles on our side. And we look forward to many, many, many more. And whenever you come to South Africa, we will be here. Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. I'm going to go one day and I'll let you know so we can meet in, in the flesh, in the person. We can be three of five. Uh, you know, that was such a joy. Thank you so much. The two of you are beautiful and so kind. Cecilia's latest book, Freckles, is available at all good bookstores. So grab your coffee and happy reading. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thank you for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.